Today's teaching text is Song of Songs, chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. You can find this scripture on your shed, in your Shed Bible on page 623. Listen, my beloved, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. The word of the Lord. Steamy, steamy. Good morning, Marcel. It's a pleasure to have the opportunity again to share in the word of God with you in this way. My name is Denise. If we have not already met, I am Pastor of Mobilization and Renewal here at Mars Hill. Um, this summer, as part of our mobilization work, a small group of us um, took on an initiative to travel to certain sites of the Underground Railroad in this state and in Ohio. And if you're wondering why you didn't get an invitation to that, it's because we just, I wanted to do a pilot to work out all the kinks. And so, Lord willing, next summer, there'll be a broader invitation for as many who can and, and will join us in that. Um, and so just a, a couple of weeks ago, we journeyed to Cincinnati, Ohio, and we went to the homestead of Harriet Beecher Stowe. And you might know her as the famous writer who uncovered the ills of slavery in our country in her best-selling novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin. And while we were there at the house where her family lived, where she was married and gave birth to her children, um, I was struck by um, a little, little page in a book that was written by her own hand. And this is a picture of it. I know you probably can't see it that well, but I just want to show a picture of the book. Um, and these are her lectures on the love of God. And this is what she says. She says, desire has for its object God, and not merely who God has created. Desire is voluntary. We must choose to love God. Desire is a perceptible, strong, delightful action of the soul. Wow. I read it, and as I did, there was a, a, a few more lines to it, and my heart was moved and expanded and delighted all at the same time, and that was the moment in which I heard my father in my ear saying to my 14-year-old self, Denise, I just think you're in love with love. And I mean, I can understand why he would say that. I mean, after all, I had five or six bride magazines where I had ripped out pages of dresses that would be mine someday when I would get married, folded in the top, my top drawer in my bedroom. None of you had that. That was just me. 
Not only that, but it had to be something about the off-key swooning that was coming from my bedroom, from um, my singing, the barge to, to the beat of the rhythm of the night, and Whitney Houston, how will I know if he really loves me? My dad knew. He knew that I was in love with love, but he didn't say it in an affirming way or in a proud way. It was sort of as though it were a vice or sort of as though it were a crime. And so I carried that sort of tension with me. I'm in love with love. Really? And then somebody had the nerve to put a Bible in my hand. And if my memory is correct, and it seldom is, I fell in love at first sight. I immediately became a student of the word. And then one day I stumbled into the middle of the book. Must have been about 15 years old about that time. And I found this. The Song of Solomon, some call it Solomon's Song of Songs. We call it. Wow. This is in the Bible. How steamy, how erotic, how what? Nobody wanted to talk about that. I hadn't heard very many sermons about that. So I thought since I was teaching today, I'd see what we could uncover here together. But what I found on that day was that somehow or another, the Word of God, the Bible in this particular book, it gave voice, it gave texture, it gave permission to embrace desire, longing, and yes, love. And so today we continue in our Old Testament mixtape series. We've covered a lot of ground as we've gone along the way. If you, can, if you uh, can believe me, I'm not Troy Hatfield. I know he's been here the last three weeks, but, you know, I thought I would give him a break. Kidding. But Troy has allowed us to cover a great deal of ground, and so also have our other great teachers here. And if, 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 if you remember in the very beginning, Tim gave us this slide to sort of just give us a picture of the Old Testament and then 39 scrolls or books, and, and then ultimately he talked about the Tanakh, right, of, 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 of which this is a part and helped us to understand where this fits in that part of the Bible at what we call wisdom or ketuvim. This is where we are. It's the same place where we were last summer when we were in the Psalm series. It's the same place we were a few weeks ago when we were in Job. We are in that section of the Bible. That's where the Song of Songs fits. So I don't know if you've read this book a time or two in your life, perhaps under a blanket with a flashlight, like, are you there, God? Is it me, Margaret? Right? right? I know how old you are by how you're laughing. Or maybe you've, maybe you've read it out loud or you've heard it proclaimed or read at weddings, um, which is a very popular portion of the Bible in that particular setting. But if you have read it, I hope you know that there are at least four faithful ways for us to exegete or understand how this text comes to us and how we might be able to come to it. The first reading is a plain text reading. That means we read it grammatically. What does it say? What do the words mean? That's where our relationships and our marriages get the most fruit. So feel free if you haven't read it 
to hang around in the plain text area and find permission to hold on to your sweetheart a little bit tighter and a little bit closer. Don't be embarrassed. I'm not going to remain there long. The second reading is more of a midrash reading, more of an, an, an allegory of Israel and God and their love relationship and their pursuing of each other together. That's another appropriate way, faithful way to read the text. There's a third way, which is more of an intellectual way, more of a way of, that scholars and sort of academics sort of wrestle with the text as this sort of pursuit of perfection that human beings are pursuing perfection in and for God and that, and that God is looking to humans to live into the fullness of this perfection. And then the fourth faithful and popular way is this deep mystical coding that helps us understand some of the mysteries of our faith and how we live that out throughout our senses and through our faithful lives. But today, I want to invite you into a fifth way of viewing this text. Dr. Ellen Davis is one of my favorite contemporary Old Testament theologians, professor at Duke Divinity School, and she sort of suggests that perhaps the Song of Songs is actually a book that is interested in relational healing. This is what she says. You can see it for yourself. I'll read it also. She says, the poet of Song of Songs understands that the well-being of our world, not just of the individual person, but of the world as a whole, depends upon the human capacity to cultivate, indeed, love in all three relational areas. I want to just give you time to put your eyeballs on it yourself in case I read it too fast. What are the three relational areas? She invites us to imagine Solomon, the poet in this text, as he is the son of David, as he is the man who has asked God for wisdom and has been proclaimed the wisest man in the world, now he has been tasked with the responsibility of building the temple. And, and, and she helps us imagine that Solomon is, is, is in his head and in his heart longing for this temple to be a place of relational healing, healing between God and humanity, healing between females and males, healing between creation and humanity. These three relational areas. So let's consider for a moment, please, the first form of relational healing, that which is between God and humans. You remember in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God created all the things in the earth. And on that final day of creation, God created humankind in God's own image and declared, it is not just good as the others, but it is told me, oh, it is very good. And then sin enters the world and the tree that is forbidden, the corner of the garden is partaken of by God's beloved, and then there's a break that happens 
in the relationship between God and humans such that when God comes walking in the cool of the evening as had been God's custom with Adam and Eve, they hid from the Lord for they were naked and ashamed. But then Davis helps us to think about Solomon there again in the preparation of his temple and in his imagination and longing that this temple, this place, could possibly be a place of healing between the two. And we see that captured in our text today where the text says, see, the winter has passed and the rains are over and gone. The winter, the time of hiding, the time of darkness, the time of heaviness, all of that time is gone and now is a time of refreshment. He's reimagining that the temple could be a place where that sort of healing could take place. Second form of healing between, between male and female. You know how it is. Again, God says it's not good for man to be alone. And so God puts him into a deep sleep, pulls forth from his rib, forms and shapes a woman, places them together. The man looks at the woman and says, behold, you are bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And then the two should live together and cleave to each other. And then there's a break in the relationship. In the eating of the fruit shared earlier, the opening of the eyes led to a broken relationship that ended in the blame game. This woman you gave me, she did. She told me, she gave me. It ended up in this brokenness that caused them to live into something that was never intended to be. And that is that now the woman's desire shall be for the man and the man shall rule over her. Something that was never meant to be has come to be. But Solomon reimagines the temple as a healing place between men and women where the man in fact leaps mountains and bounds hills in pursuit of her, and she's longingly anticipating his pursuit. Look, he comes, she says, like a gazelle, like a young stag. The temple can be a place of mutual pursuit and mutual, mutual longing, one human to another. And then the third, aspiration comes from this break that has happened between humanity and creation. Genesis 2 tells us everything that we needed for food was provided in the garden. Not only that, but no rain fell upon the earth because there was a river that ran on the ground to refresh the earth. So there was no reason for any kind of struggle for creation or humans. And then when those humans departed from God and from each other. There was also a departure from them in creation, such that caused God to pronounce upon them that enmity would be between the woman and the serpent, and that the man must now toil to bring produce from the ground by his sweat, for it would no longer yield easily. But then Solomon 
In his song, he imagines a temple where healing between humans and creation looks like springtime. That's the time of the year Israel would read this text. During springtime, when all was fresh and all was new, when it was Passover, they would lift up this song in their community and Solomon imagined springtime, again where the winter had passed, where Adamah, which is the earth, the ground in Hebrew, celebrates Adam, which is the human who comes from the dirt, and together they form a strange kinship. And in this temple, Solomon imagines that that kinship can be reborn so that even the turtle dove can be heard, even the vines are in bloom, even the fragrance of the flowers bears witness to the healing. I regret to inform you, although it will come to you as no surprise, that the temple project did not happen that way. And it wasn't long before the relationship between God and humans, the relationships between humans and humans, the relationships between humans and creation had a wider and wider and larger and larger divide. And if you don't believe it, we need only pick up the book of Hosea. For it shows us how the relationship between God and humans remained unhealed. In fact, God says to Hosea, I want you to go and get a wife that you know will be unfaithful to you because my people have been unfaithful to me. How the relationship between men and women have been broken as Hosea continues to pursue this woman, his wife, who will not be faithful to him, who brings home children that do not belong to them. And that relationship continues to be unhealed. In the relationship between humans and creation, we need only read chapter 2 of Hosea, verse 12, where the Lord says, I will lay waste her vines. I will make them a forest and the wild animals will devour it. It didn't work. Solomon had an imagination of the temple and sang about it most gloriously in this song. And yet... As his kingship died and many died after it, and later the temples absolutely decimated and destroyed, the project didn't work. But then came Jesus, in whom all relationships find healing. And indeed, Jesus is the temple Solomon imagined. Revelation 21, it tells us the story of the new Jerusalem. And in that picture, the revelator says, I looked and I did not see a temple in the city. Why? Because the Lord God and the Lamb are its temple. And it is in him. Amen. It is in him that the invitation in John, surprise, 15 comes that says, abide in me. If we were to put voice and face and body on that, it would be, you are my beloved and my beloved is mine. Right? Right? So abide in me and I will abide in you and in such we will bear much fruit. In him, in Jesus. Paul says there is no male or female. Paul teaches and uplifts the command in Ephesians 5 that we read wrongly when we want to start with the hierarchy of women submit and men love. But it starts even before that with Paul's uh, admonition to submit ourselves to each other as unto 
Christ, in him, in Christ, who called the mustard seed and the birds of the air and the lilies of the field and the river in revelation that flows for the healing of the nations to bear fruit to the healing of the relationship between God and humans, between men and women, between humans and creation. Yeah, Solomon's song, it is a healing song of that temple, of the temple that it is Christ. For as David says, the poet of Song of Songs knows that the well-being of our world, not just of the individual person, but of the world as a whole, depends upon the human capacity to cultivate, indeed, love in all three of these relational ways in which Christ is the temple. So here's the invitation. It's simply this. Keep a love song always on the ready. Everybody knows a somebody done somebody wrong song. The invitation today is to keep a song of love on your heart, on your tongue, and at your fingertips. Keep a song that that reminds you of your belovedness. When the pressures of the world and the negativity around and when our own shortcomings want to bring us to a place of depression or isolation, have a love song to sing to yourself. I can sing of your love forever. Over the mountains and the streams, your river runs with love for me. And I could sing of your love forever. Not only that, but, 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 but look around you at the people who are different. If you look at somebody of a different gender or of a different skin color or a different physical size or, or, or the person in the car beside you who's blowing their horn at you or, or, or whatever the differences might be on the other aisle, other churches, other worshiping communities that vote and other ways that we don't vote, keep a love song on the ready that you might be reminded of their belovedness too, that the, that the God who leaps and bounds like a young stag and a gazelle for you does for them also. And sing. Sing a healing song to our kinship with Adamah. In fact, I don't want us to just sing this week. I want to challenge us to get in the dirt. I'm not talking about go to the beach. I'm talking about the dirt, dirt. Get your feet in the dirt. Get your hands in the dirt. I don't care if it's a, a house potted plant, if it's a, a, a herb garden that sits in your window at your apartment, or if you have a huge garden in your backyard. I don't like dirt. I don't like bugs. I don't like to be outside, but I'm going to challenge myself too to get my hands and get my feet in the dirt and sing a love song. All creatures of our God and King, lift, lift your voice and let us sing. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Keep a love song on the ready. And I don't care what you sing. It could be the song that 
My 14-year-old self sang with the ripped-up magazine pieces on the Sony boombox, what Blessing and Whitney Houston it could be. Harriet Beecher Stowe's kind of love song in her lecture. It could be King Solomon's healing song of songs for the healing of the nation, but beloved, by all means, sing. Sing a love song, a song that might heal us in our relationship with God and that might heal us in our relationship with the other, whoever they be, and a love song that will heal our relationship with creation, that we might bear witness to the world that we are not just beloved, but we are those who love. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Can we sing something, Delvin? Jesus, we love And so our invitation to the table from Song of Songs 2. We delight in his shade and his fruit is sweet to the taste. Let him lead us to the banquet table and let his banner over us be love. And so the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give our thanks to the Lord our God. Let us pray how right and good a joyful thing at all times and in all places to give thanks to you, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 
Therefore we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so send your spirit upon us now, we pray, so the bread we break and the cup we bless may be to us the communion of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, our beloved one and Lord. And as these grains have been gathered from many fields into one loaf, as these grapes from many vines into one cup, so soon and very soon may your whole church be healed and restored and gathered together in you even to the ends of the earth, even so, come Lord Jesus. And so, beloved, I give to you that which I also receive, how the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, broken for you. And in the same manner, after they had supped, he took the cup, and he gave thanks and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And as often as you do drink this, you proclaim my death until I come again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so, as we prepare to partake of this feast, we do so recognizing that we don't do it alone, but that we are joined by all people who on this day also come to this table, by all of those who have gone before us in this community and in this country and in this entire world. And with one voice, although we speak many languages and many dialects, we encapsulate all of what we believe in these three simple, winsome phrases. Say it with me. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And so, beloved of God, I want to invite you, first of all, if you're here and you're longing or standing in the need of someone to pray with you, we have people in the back who will be more than happy to pray with you. We have our prayer walls here in the back. You can write down your prayers, stick them in the walls. We gather those and we as a staff pray over that every week. And if you desire or require anybody to walk with you and tell you more about this beloved Jesus of whom we've spoken, then we want to invite you to see myself, see Kyle, see one of our prayer warriors, our folks serving communion. We would love to share the story with you. And anyone and all who claim the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord is welcome at this table. So we invite you to come to the table and serve yourself, or you may certainly come to the front where our servers be delighted to provide you the only food for our soul. And so now, Mars Hill Bible Church, come and receive who you are, the body of Christ, for all is now ready. Amen.